0: Readers who appreciate Amy Leach's singular style as an essayist and devoured her first collection, Things That Are, can now rejoice and join the Everyday Ensemble. This new essay collection celebrates the natural world. The ensemble of the title means me, you, and everybody, every other living thing. Speckled and plain, perfect and imperfect, indigo-feathered, green-skinned, orange-toed, squashed of face, cracked of shell, miniature of heart, young as ducklings, old as hills, we are all beckoned, all of us, indigenous to earth, to join in Amy Leach's unforgettable stories about our interconnected world. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette I spoke to Amy Leach about her latest essay collection, The Everyday Ensemble Donkeys, Essays, and Other Pandemoniums.
1: Okay, I'm going to read the first essay in my book, and my book is called The Everybody Ensemble, and the first essay is called The Everybody Ensemble. Welcome to The Everybody Ensemble. We're so glad you could make it for our concert tonight. We chose this location where the Zambezi River empties into the Indian Ocean so that aquatic and semi-aquatic and land animals could all participate. The flap shell turtles didn't have far to travel, but we know that many of the rest of you have been traveling for months, even years, from Puducherry and the Grampian Mountains, from your bogs and boonies and cubicles, and we're grateful for all of the trouble you took to get here. The trip would seem easiest for the birds, But of course, they couldn't leave their eggs behind. And we see that some owls are still arriving, rolling their eggs around the mud puddles, stopping every several yards to sit on their eggs and warm them up. While the owls are settling in, let's talk about how you would like to be arranged. In a conventional choir, the magic number is four, four sections corresponding to the four registers of the human voice, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass but four is insufficiently magic for our assemblage here four leaves out the dolphins and the rhinoceros singers and the animals who just buzz so all 20 quintillion of you just go ahead and arrange yourselves however you want as soon as there's more than one of you you can be homogeneous or heterogeneous you might sort yourselves by smelliness sneeziness spazziness speckliness Speckled chachalakas can sort themselves from plain chachalakas. You can sort yourselves by biases and then again by sub-biases. There can be a reflective section and a section for those who are all reflex. There can be a section for the surreptitious. We're not sure who you are, but we noticed you arriving obscured by the leafy branches you were carrying in front of you. There can be an emergency section for the two and three-year-old humans who are forever losing their marbles who act like the stars are sparkling them to death. We will use the emergency singers quite a bit in our program tonight, since most music could use a little emergency. With the toddler contingent, there will be no pathetic droopy music, no songs of resignation. If you are undiscovered, you are in good company with millions of undiscovered species. The Tapanuli orangutan herself was an unknown till last year. Those of you who aren't sure whether you exist or not can sing with the Mongolian death rooms. And if you feel imperfect, you can join the likes of Abraham, Moses, and David, or you may find yourself gravitating to the perfect section with the wind-up toys and the single celled constituents of slime mold. If you do join the perfect section, your repertoire will necessarily be reduced for perfection is only attainable in miniature. Anyway, music is a good form for the fallible because mistakes made in music are like mistakes made in snow. They go away. Also, imperfections make someone a better wisher, and a better wisher is a better singer.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Amy, the Everybody Ensemble is the title of the first essay of this book, but I want to know how you settled on that short series that makes up our subtitle, Donkeys, Essays, and Other Pandemoniums. I mean, it's, for me, it's a very loaded short series. Um, so I want to know what the thought process was with that.
1: Thank you. Yes, so <laughs> um, it was funny. My first book didn't have a subtitle. And, um, they wanted to give a little bit more of the flavor of the book, um, with a subtitle this time. So I got on, um, the phone with my editor and we just played with words until we came up with, um, these three things. And, um, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I love donkeys so much. And she asked me what was kind of the, the animal that, um, showed up probably the most. Not, um, not just in my essay, but in my mind. And I'm so crazy about donkeys. So if I see a field with lots of horses and one donkey, I only have eyes for the donkey. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was really glad to have um, donkeys there. And then the pandemoniums was um, just to make sure I give people the um, the heads up that um, these were not... <laughs> entirely, um, serious. I mean, they're serious, but they're also, um, kind of full of, um, pandemonium. Yes. Um, So that was, that was some of our, it really was our thought process. Um, I, I, it was, it was half Jenna and half me.
0: And I love that pandemonium is, is in the plural pandemoniums, which, (laughs) the grammar check will underscore <laughs> that in red. Um, but I just love that. I love this idea of it's So it, as you say, it's sort of upfront in the subtitle, like get ready. Essence, <laughs> donkeys and pandemoniums in the plural. Um, Here we go. <laughs> because it is a little challenging to be able to tell people who ask me as, as I'm carting this gorgeous <laughs> book around, it's a very beautiful book. Um, what what it's about in clear and simple terms what do you say to people who ask you well what's your book about
1: oh (laughs) i have to say i'm not very good at it either but i remember one time i (laughs) i gave a reading in brooklyn and um there were all these cool people and they were giving really cool sexy readings and then i i got up and read um a strange little essay about the moon And um, I have to say, I don't think it was um, necessarily received very well. But one person came up afterward and said, I liked your weird science poetry. Um, No, no. (laughs) I guess that I've just um, kind of adopted that that phrase. It's weird science poetry with jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know,
0: it's a very... Like I get that, but it's a very serious book. It is a very, um, it's so important for what it says to us about the world all around us. And I like that in that first essay, that part that you read from the first essay, that the humans are not up front, getting all the <laughs> taking up all the space, you know. And um, so, it, you and I. Every time I read or reread something that you've written, I'm thinking in terms of, I picture you like, because I know what you look like, I picture you like (laughs) doing research. I feel, I picture you like sort of just chained to your, (laughs) to your computer. And I, and I, I just feel like everything is so informed but so I have this quest. Well, it's, it's many questions about your process. Tell, can you tell me about how you research for any one of these? It seems to me that you've got to have just boundless curiosity. Does the reading and research lead you to the subject of an essay? Do you find yourself writing about the subject and then find that you that you need to go fill in some of the gaps and do the research. How? Where does it begin for you with any one of your essays?
1: Yes, um, so that's a wonderful question, and you said it's a question about process, and I have to say my process has changed somewhat. So with my first book, I had much longer stretches of time to um, just research very open-endedly um, and so I would just start... I, was, I remember one time I started reading about cabbage, and it turned into mildew, and then the essay turned into powdery mildew, and then it turned into an essay about pea tendrils. So wow. I had a lot more time, I feel like, to be very circuitous with my subjects and just research and research and research until something moved me. Hmm. Um, I had children. Um, between my last book and this book and it sort of truncated my um, boundless time to research. (laughs) And so, um, but, you know, all of that research that I had done for my first book, I mean, I I had kind of populated my mind with um, characters, (laughs) (laughs) plants and animals that I had a little bit more at hand. And so with this set, um, collection i know that when i started i was i was finding myself not intentionally necessarily but um very attracted to animals in very extreme circumstances and um living in montana we had come across moose and i was just um fascinated by their preposterously heavy antlers (laughs) and so in that case, it started with the subject, and then I went to research rather than mostly with my my <laughs> <laughs> last book. I would um, research and then come to the subject. Um, and then there was the mesquite tree, and I had had experience with this from Texas. So <laughs> I grew up in Texas, and um, mesquite trees abounded where I lived. And I remember that one time my mother was turning 50, and... Um, most there were a lot of people who didn't like mesquite trees. Yeah. Um, but my mother loved them and so I went out and tried to dig one up out in the field um to give to her for her birthday. But um it was a very impressive experience. <laughs> I was very impressed because it was just a little mesquite tree. <laughs> and I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug down, 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 down until <laughs> i never did get to the end of it or the bottom of it and i kind of cut it gave it to her and we tried to replant it and it died but that experience had always stayed with me um i was just so impressed with how deeply those little trees dig Mm -hmm. and so that inspired me to go and read about how you know they'll grow in the desert and they'll send their roots 150 feet down looking for water because they can't find it on the surface um and so anyway I think my mind was just um gravitating towards Mm -hmm. um animals and plants um who are just have extreme experiences so Anyway, that was one of the things that was guiding me in in these essays.
0: But it's not trivia, and it's not like it's so esoteric that nobody could possibly find a, a connection for their own lives. Like, but so I, you know, it's sort of like looking at your book and thinking, where does one research like barnacle goslings or, I don't know, sea snails or, or the mesquite tree? You know, that's that goes one hundred and fifty feet down. So I, I was wondering how. Um, how you go about doing your research. Like I hit the databases, you know, I teach at a university and I, you know, I just go to the databases and I just plumb those. But what, what do you do? How do you, what, what's even the process for not just your writing, but for the research itself?
1: Sure. I mean, I go to the library and check out popular science books. I'll get on the internet and I'll look up scientific articles or abstracts because I can't always get into the whole article. But you can learn a lot from abstracts and they're quite um, quite fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In that extremely technical language that's um, not popularized, there is so um, much that's interesting and concrete and metaphorical, I find. Mm. Um, but I also enjoy looking on books databases and my favorite what do you call them parameters or whatever to put in is find me books before 1900 (laughs) um so i like to look up old science too um and in um well i don't i don't know if this is totally on topic but um so <laughs> I guess there was at least one essay in this book that was that I came, I came to the subject circuitously because I had, you know, sometimes I just find an, like a name of a bird or something in the dictionary um, that I find interesting. So there's this extinct bird out in the, um, out on an island, Rodriguez Island, And it was called The Solitaire. And I just loved it for Mm. that name, The Solitaire. Um, But researching more about that and looking up old books, I had found um, that there was this um, French Protestant refugee (laughs) Mm. who had um, provided a lot of the information that we have about the solitaire's life before it went extinct because he was stranded on Rodriguez Island where they lived where the Solitaire lived, he was stranded there for two years with his men, um, and took a lot of notes, so I read his book, um, and his old book had so much wonderful science, um, kind of, and philosophy, and odd facts, and religion, so, um, I, that was quite, um, that was a good find for me. Well, I, you know, I was
0: thinking about, um, the Helen MacDonald book, H is for Hawk, and Jonathan Myberg's book um, about the caracara, Kara, A Most Remarkable Creature. So mm-hmm. they just immerse themselves in these projects about a, uh, you know, about a single creature. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, oh, how does Amy Leach do? <laughs> this was like, there's so many different, like, okay, so the solitaire, but... Um, I mean, pick a, a paragraph in the book, and the and and of course, it's not ju- it's not sort of. Um, I've never said to anybody this is a book about animals. I mean, this is n- not just that. And you're really known too for the lyrical quality in your writing. There's whimsy. There's this exuberance that you have for nature music fish and fowl do you do you think of yourself as a nature writer or a science writer I mean you're a storyteller um but do you do you consider yourself uh, in that camp of a nature writer or a science writer
1: <laughs> that's a that's a good question um I like that you said music fish and fowl um <laughs> I love that. I love that list. That could have been a good subtitle too. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you can have it.
1: (laughs) Um, And it's funny. I was just um, making a little joke about nature writing because I just find nature such a large word. And um, I feel like I have a small head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was being fitted for glasses and the lady at Costco told me that my head was on the small side of small. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I was making this joke that um, with my small, small head, I I can't comprehend that huge word nature. So I would consider myself not a nature writer, but a moose writer or a goose writer or a blobfish writer. Or a mesquite writer, or a mushroom writer, or a frog writer, but not yeah. Nature writer seems like uh, to, just too 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 sweeping.
0: Yes, but because this book is so many things too, um, and I want to ask you specifically about uh, the essay about your dog. But I want to go back to this idea of music. You are also a musician, and music really figures in this work too. Um, in fact, I mean, obviously the first essay evokes this idea of this universal chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of music in your work. So can you talk about how music intersects with your interest in, um, maybe I shouldn't say nature, but how music <laughs> intersects with your interest in,
1: in your writing? Uh, certainly. Um, so, I mean, I think that it has just always affected my priorities um, in life and writing. And so it's funny, if I'm listening to music with words, I can't hear the words at all. I mean, they might as well be in Lithuanian. I have no idea. If, if there's music, music totally um, eclipses words for me. Hmm. Um, as much as I love words um, music just, um, I don't know, not the, no, I don't know, blinds me to words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, um, given me some, maybe just priorities for sound. I mean, that's one thing that I often choose words, um, according to what sound they are. And, um, also, and I don't know if I'll be able to express this very well. It's a little mystical, but sometimes... Uh, you know, they talk about lyrical essays. Did maybe you even mentioned lyrical? I did. But so, I mean, lyrics, you know, literally are the words to a song, and um, so sometimes I feel like I am writing lyrics to a tune hmm. um, that I that I'm just trying to get the lyrics right. I'm trying to get the lyrics right. There is a tune, and so. Was it um, the Beatles who, when they were um, composing "Yesterday," I've heard, although maybe I, maybe I'm getting the words wrong. I heard that at first they used the sort of substitute words, "scrambled egg." <laughs> da, 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 da. And um, I sometimes feel like that when I write that I'm just using kind of substitute words until I can that that are governed or guided by the tune (laughs) Mm -hmm. sort of mystical tune behind it all (laughs) until i can get to the to the right words like it's going from scrambled eggs to yesterday um so i know that's a little esoteric (laughs) Um, (laughs) well you know But i mean (laughs) i'm sorry go ahead
0: Neil Diamond got a lot of guff, I think, or has over the years for in one song using the word brang, where he says, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. son, sh- song she sang to me, son, she brang to me. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of like, well, but you know, this, it's all sound over sense, you know. <laughs> <Sort Absolutely. laughs>
1: and you know what, I've heard that song a million times and as I said, I've never heard those words because ah. I can't hear words. But you're right. Now that you say that, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it never could possibly have bothered me, that word brain, because I would never have heard it. But um, um, that's very fun and lovely.
0: Well, so so obviously music is a huge influence. Um, and you just you love animals. I mean there is there love in that? I mean love is that too strong a word. It just seems to me like you know, I'm reading I'm reading the book or rereading one of the essays and just thinking that you must just be um just in awe of these creatures and their stories, their individual stories. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say that these are not essays, as we, as I said before, about esoteric things that are unreachable for the average person. And I'm thinking about this essay, Bean stand for Pet. This is an essay about your dog. And I think that some of the details about your life with him are so very resonant. Um, so for, for folks who have not yet read it, they'll see what, what I'm talking about. But can you give us a, a little bit of a hint about that? Can you talk about that essay?
1: Sure. So when we were living outside of Chicago, I enrolled myself as a foster home for puppies. Um, and um, I just had this rolling um, that I wasn't supposed to fall for any of them um, because then I would be a failed foster home. Because if you adopt one of your foster puppies, then you can't keep them moving on through to other homes. Um, and But I fell for one so hard, and it was like fate. And um, he was... I mean, talk about pandemoniums. I mean, he was probably the, the definition of pandemonium. Um, and as I say in there, instead of becoming my pet, he became my dread fluffy little master and um, went after all of our nice neighbors. And sometimes he mistook me for a nice neighbor and bit me. And and yet, yeah, I mean, not just in the essay, but in life, I, I did have huge love and adoration and appreciation for him. Um, just his, his own ways, um, and I'm always quoting this, I think it's actually, I think I've actually paraphrased Kierkegaard, but his, Kierkegaard says something like, um, the task of the self is to become itself. And um, I think one of my sources of appreciation for animals is that they all seem so intensely themselves. Um, as people sometimes don't, hmm. don't seem to be a totally themselves, but um, much more sort of guided by norms and conventions mm-hmm. <laughs> that keep them from being themselves. And so that was one of my... Um... Anyway, I wanted to celebrate Stan <laughs> because although he was difficult, um, he was... A tiny, tiny, tiny animal who is monumentally himself.
0: Hmm. But you say something so interesting, Amy, that makes me think about your work as a nonfiction writer this idea of being most intensely yourself, even when you're not writing about yourself or using the first person I. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What is it about? What is it about this? Is it a, is it a very conscious? Decision to move away from that rhetorical convention that, and in some ways, uh, sort of um, in an unexpected way, it sort of enhances for me the idea of reality or Mm -hmm. dare I, should I say the word authenticity, but the idea of the verisimilitude of it. I mean, there's not really, I'm trying to think if there's a, a first person I, but it would be wrong to say that these are just like straight, you know, narrative journalism reportage sort of uh, (laughs) nonfiction. But I can hear, hear you in the writing about, you know, this ensemble, this menagerie. You're not like this dramatic, objective, impersonal kind of anonymous speaker in these, but you're not, you're also not front and center. I mean, it's such an interesting, interesting, very singular thing that you do. I don't, I can't think of anybody else who does this, um, in, in your writing. Um, does that make sense to you to sort of hear what's, what somebody is saying to you about how they receive your writing and, and your voice?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, no, that's, (laughs) right on <laughs> um, and it was I, I mean again talking about process and how it's changed I mean I did go to nonfiction school and it was geared mostly towards personal essay and I did try to write about myself early on initially, initially but it's I actually recognize myself in my writing um, I would write about myself and I would look at it and I would think nope that's not me <laughs> <laughs> Um and it was kind of dull and kind of depressive. And then when i when I swerved swerved into writing about stars and caterpillars and warblers, um, although I wasn't using the uh, the eye, i re- I recognized myself much more in the writing. And so it's funny that paradox that when I was writing about, myself directly i did not recognize myself and when i was writing about my uh, other animals i indirectly <laughs> <laughs> recognized myself um so it was weird i don't i don't know i'm just so grateful for um for the world and um for all of these um sort of fathomlessly wonderful and inexhaustible um this inexhaustible source of creatures to Um, explore and appreciate.
0: Amy Leach, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking with you, Yvette.
0: Amy Leach is the author of The Everyday Ensemble, Donkeys, Essays, and Other Pandemoniums. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic@tpr.org. At Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Eva Benavides.